Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse. Turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. That is our study. Uh, also, we have notes in the back table um, back there in the corner. Um, and so if you're a note taker, then please go get some now or anytime. Um, the discussion, discussion questions in the back you're going to need probably. Um, and then if it, I'll have a Bible. I want a Bible. This one back there too. So we're in Thessalonians. It's towards the middle of the New Testament, right after Philippians and before the Timothys. You found the Thessalonians. Um, if you're a member, we started this last week. The Thessalonian church was growing um, and they were being taught by Paul. Then the Jews came along and started persecuting the believers a ton. So Paul came in and was teaching and stuff in the synagogue and other places. Uh, and they were growing. There were um, some Jewish believers that or Jewish people who believed. And there were some Greeks that believed and all these different people. And then um, some of the Jews who did not like that came and like persecuted them hard and ran them off. <clears throat> um, so they came. Paul and Silas left them uh, and them left and went to Berea. So it's a, it's a place that's nearby. <clears throat> so here's Thessalonians. Cool, look at the image, awesome, cool, next. Um, Thessalonica's up here, it's where the Thessalonians were, and they went off to Berea, over here. Um, they went to the Bereans, and the Jews that were in Thessalonica heard it there in Berea, and they're like, oh, that can't happen on our watch. And so they went to Berea, and were like, get out of here too, basically. They followed them there. And so um, they eventually went down to Athens and such, um, and they didn't know how the Thessalonians were doing. Last time they were there they were like hurry leave go we're being persecuted um, and stuff and so uh, they wanted to, to kill them and such and so they sent Timothy back to Thessalonians to check on them so they don't know how they're doing sent Timothy back and this is now what we're reading in first Thessalonians is Paul's response based off of Timothy's report does that make sense okay so I'll do back and forth so what I'm going to do is I'll read the passage we're going to do this morning and we'll get started. This morning we're doing 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. It says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and in the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia, okay, but also in every place uh, your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you, how you trusted God f- from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son and from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're here today, um, we're able to study your word in a corporate setting, um, that we're able to come together as believers united in Christ. I uh, thank you for your son, uh, that he died on the cross, and rose again to conquer death, and that we place our faith in him, we receive eternal life. Um, I pray that as we study today, um, this letter that Paul has to Thessalonians, that you would reveal to us uh, what you want us to hear from that, and, and your word would be taught, and while I'm up here speaking, that you'd be the one speaking through me, God. Uh, I just thank you for this morning again. Put all this in your son's name. Amen. 
Okay, so last week um, we looked at a few things. We looked at, first of all, his, like, hey, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, saying what's up. Uh, who is Silvanus again? Silas. Silas, right? We said it was the Latin version of Silas, uh, Silvanus. So last week um, he said that. They're thankful for them. They're always praying um, for Thessalonians. And then we saw these three things that we, that we looked at. Um, their faith, their love, and their hope. Right? Faith, love, and hope. And these three things are the kind of the outline of, um, of the book. So it says in verse 3, Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfast of, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and, uh, God and Father. So um, this is the outline of the book, this faith, love, and hope. Paul talks about their faith is known everywhere. We just read that. We're going to go through that this morning. Um, he encouraged them in their love for each other, and then he assures them of their future hope in Christ's return. That's kind of the outline of how the book goes and how this letter is, is laid out. This morning we're mainly going to see that first part, the faith part. Um, their faith is known throughout the entire region, the entire area. So we ended at verse 4 last week. It says that Paul knows God's choice of them. We concluded that it was probably God's choice for them to be lights in Thessalonica and God's choice for them to suffer for his sake. And we see that from the context we're about to go into, is that he's immediately talking about how they've suffered and they've, um, they've been lights and known everywhere. Thessalonians are famous lights for Christ and they've endured persecution. So here's the outline of what we're going to see this morning. Um, in verse 5, we see the message that was brought to them. In verse 6, we see their response to that message. Um, and then we see that their response is widely known in those next few verses, 7 through 9. And in verse 10, we see that they're looking to the future hope there, the future hope. As we start this morning, uh, let's think about what our response is when we hear the good news of the gospel. And think about our reaction to hard situations as well. So again, verse 5. For a gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. So when the, when the apostles, when Paul and Silas and Timothy were there, and um, they were sharing the gospel with the Thessalonians, they were not just bringing them these words alone, right? Just simple, just like, hey, cool, here you go, words. F.F. Um, F. Bruce says in his commentary on First Thessalonians that words alone or words only mean speech that, however eloquent and moving, would be ineffective in evoking faith from the hearers. Let me say it again. He says that these words alone or words only means speech that, however eloquent and moving, would be ineffective in evoking faith from the hearers. They didn't just come with saying these nice fancy words that sounded really cool. They actually had a meaning and a purpose and a power behind them. They had the power of the Holy Spirit and it came along with full conviction, it says. In 2 Timothy 1.7 it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Not a spirit of timidity of coming and being like, hey, um, this Jesus guy, he's, he's really cool. Um, if, you want, I don't, it, it, if you want, I can tell you something about him, right? Not just like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, right? Like, he's given us freedom, right? He's given us eternal life. Like, that's, that's just, he's given us not a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. And so they had power in these words, and um, these words were convicting to them, right? Um, isn't the gospel convicting? What does the gospel say? It says, you're not good enough. Right? Um, you're never going to be good enough. And some of you might 
be reminiscing back to your childhood or something. But no, like ultimately it says you're not good enough, you're never going to be good enough. It's impossible for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All righteousness is filthy rags to God. Your best is bad to him, his standard. You think you can do it on your own? That God's grace or mercy is going to ignore those sins, right? Like, okay, I know you did some bad stuff, but ultimately, it's fine. He'll, he'll just forgive me. Right? He'll just be gracious and forgive me and merciful and forgive me. Um, it's a thought that counts, right? I tried to be good, so I thought, like, I, I'm good there, right? Um, no, it's not, right? Because God is perfectly just, right? And he must have a payment for those sins. He can't just ignore certain sins and just blow them off. He has to have a payment for those sins. And that's where Christ comes in. God came down, took on flesh. He lived a perfect life without sin. He died uh, a death to pay for all sins, the perfect sacrifice. And then he rose to conquer death. And now to get eternal life, you place your faith in someone else, not you. Because you aren't enough. You have to place your faith in someone else, in Jesus Christ. Because God is enough. Place your trust in him and you get the free gift of eternal life. There's some conviction there, right? Because, like, I want to be enough, right? Like, I want to be able to, like, yeah, I, I did these things, and so therefore I'm saved, right? But the Bible's like, no, you don't do enough good, right? Because you have the bad. You cannot be good enough, but Christ is. And in him we have freedom, and in him we have eternal life. So there's conviction there, and the gospel came with conviction in Thessalonica because the gospel is true. The gospel says that you're not good enough to get eternal life. And so that's convicting. It came with conviction. Um, Paul continues and says this in verse, uh, in, in verse 5. He says, um, Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So it came um, not just in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And then you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Um, so what does this mean? Right? just so you know what kind of men we proved to be? Well, it goes back to their words. Their words came um, in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Uh, F.F. Bruce also said this about this section. He said, The spiritual power and conviction which, which, oh my gosh, the spiritual power and conviction with which the message was received matched the spiritual power and conviction which with it was delivered. Okay. So basically it says this. When they came sharing the gospel, their lives matched their message. Right? So the spiritual power that, it was, that was being taught was also being lived out. Right? Um, their lives matched the message that they were preaching. So they say, there's freedom in Christ, and then they were living in freedom. Christ tells us to love each other as he loved us, and they did. They loved each other. I have power over sin in Christ. And they utilized it. They used it. So they demonstrated the gospel through their lives and the good news that comes there. And they had their eyes on the hope of Jesus Christ. So their lives match their message. We have to ask ourselves, is, do our lives match the gospel message? If we've placed our faith in Christ, we have um, eternal life, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the power to not sin. We can choose to walk in the Spirit. It says... If you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh in Galatians 5. And so, when we're preaching, um, a, for by grace you have been saved through faith, are we gracious? Right? By God's grace that I'm saved, are you gracious to other people? Do we live by faith? 
every day are we going through and saying, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know. This doesn't make sense to me right now. But God, I'm just trusting you, right? I'm just trusting you and going forth. It's confusing if we're sharing the gospel but not acting as if it's good news. So remind yourself of how great the gospel is and go live in it. Share it with others um, and live in the love of Christ and walk in the Holy Spirit. Make sure that our lives match the gospel message. It's not confusing. Like this person, you know, they say that, you know, there's, it's so great to be a Christian and they have uh, eternal life in Christ. He's given us freedom and we can go out and love others and not have to sin anymore. But they're not quite living like that, right? They're constantly, like, down and mad and angry with me and just, like, road rage all the time, every single time they get in the car, right? Like some, some different ways where it's like they don't, they don't seem to be living it out. And there's a reason for that. It's not because they're not trying hard enough. Because they're not abiding in Christ. Right? You're not living in His love. You're not walking in the Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but um, if I get angry about something, which I just I don't get angry easily, and that's just something that God's given me. But if I get angry about something, I can be like, you know what? I'm not going to get angry. I don't care that they're being weird and awful and terrible. I'm not going to get angry, right? Am I angry? Yes, right. And so it doesn't mean that I'm, just because I'm not acting on it doesn't mean that I'm filled with rage or whatever, right? Um, and you can be passive in your anger and all those things to make excuses like, no, I'm not being mean, right? I don't care. They can do whatever they want. They can ruin their lives. They can ruin their lives, right? And so it's one of those things where we can um, not match the gospel message, and it's because we're not living, um, abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit. So we're going to see next, right? It says, um, listen, we... We're coming to you. We, we preach the gospel, and we didn't come only in word, but also in the power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And we lived in that power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. We lived in a way that matched the gospel. And then he says, here's what their response is. You also, in verse 6, became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So they had two responses from the gospel message being shared. Um, one, they imitated God and the apostles. Right? They were imitating God and the apostles. Secondly, they have joy in their tribulation. Joy in tribulation. So first of all, imitating God and the apostles. The Thessalonian church imitated them by enduring persecution for the sake of God. Right? The apostles, like, if you know anything about Paul, he was persecuted a lot. Uh, in fact, there was one time where they dragged him out of the city, or they stoned him, dragged him out of the city. They thought he was dead. They just left him there. And then he, like, gets back up, goes back into the city, and starts preaching again, right? And so he's persecuted a lot. He's been shipwrecked. All this stuff has happened, all for the sake of God. So they imitated them in that way, just like the apostles did, just like Christ did. Christ laid down his life, um, and he even prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, like, hey, this doesn't have to happen. I'd rather it not happen, right? But not my will, your will. Right? I want your will to be done. And so he suffered for the sake of the Father, which like the apostles have. Um, they also imitated the apostles by having zeal to share the gospel amid that persecution. Right? So in the middle of that persecution, they're still having a zeal in sharing the gospel and going out and being lights. That's the first way. They imitate God and the apostles. Secondly, they have joy in tribulation. So they received the word of much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Even though all this tribulation was going on, they were able to have joy. Like, 
Uh, we wrote about last week some in Acts. You can actually see where this is being set up. I think it's Acts 17, um, where the church is being set up. But they, like, drag Jason, who's a guy who's a believer there, like, out of his house trying to find these apostles. And they, like, dragged him and put him up, and they made him take a vow before they would release him. And it was, like, not good. Um, but even though it was going on, they were able to have joy. Was this joy of their circumstances? Is that where it came from? Was it their joy of forcing their joy to come? Joy of their friendship? I mean, maybe, I don't know. But no, right? What does it say in the scripture? What does it say the joy was? The, Holy the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's where the joy came from. The source of the joy is not something we conjure up for ourselves. Right? Rather, it's of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentle, or goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice, if you ever, if you know that verse, um, I'm with it. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is all those things. Now, if you're a grammar person, you're like, that doesn't make sense, right? There's a lot of things you don't say is, you say are. The fruit of the Spirit are. Uh, but no, it's not a mistake, because there's one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is these things, right? Um, all of those are the outcome of walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit and abiding in Christ. You get love, joy, peace, patience, all those things start to bubble up and come out. You're bearing that fruit, that one fruit, all of that from walking in the Spirit. And so that joy, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? It comes from walking in the Spirit. So they um, received the word, and they had those two reasons. They imitated God, or that two uh, response, I should say. They imitated God and the apostles, and they had joy in their tribulation. I will say, if you're taking notes and you have the note sheet, it's a little confusing on um, what it says that they did. Um, what, what does the note sheet say on this part? Where has it? Yeah, so it sounds like they heard the gospel, and they're talking about doing these things. And normally what it's saying here, if you, if you read it, it's not necessarily the, the gospel, but the word that came, um, they were responding to. I received the word of tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, of course, they responded by placing their faith in Christ. Right? Um, but what I'm talking about is like what they did after that and the word being preached, what they did there. Um, so they were able to do that. They imitated God. The apostles had joy in the tribulation all by the power and by the grace of God, not their own doing. Right? Power and grace of God. That leads us to the next section. They became famous. So because of those things, they became <coughs> examples to all believers. Whoa. Right? Um, so they became examples to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So what does it tell you about us? Kind of a hard question. What's verse 7 say? If they're an example to them, are they an example to us as well? They're an example to all believers in that region, right? So therefore, if you're a believer, they're also an example to us. And so um, what they did were those two things, right? They imitated God, the apostles had joined tribulation, became an example to all those people. And so let's study the life of Christ and the lives of the apostles. Right? So that's who they imitated, and that's who we want to imitate as well. Imitate them. Secondly, let's abide in Christ during tribulations. Always seek him, right? Read his word, pray, seek him. 
The joy comes from him. Set our minds on things above, not things here. If we're so caught up in the thing going on this right now in this world, we're going to get discouraged and um, beat down. But if we set our minds on things above, knowing where our life is hidden at with Christ, that's where joy comes from. And we'll get into that more later on in this, in this message. Okay. Um, we continue about them being famous. right? Look at verse 8. For the word of the Lord has abounded or sounded um, forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Um, Thessalonians' fame has gone far beyond the reaches of their region. Right. Um, so if we go back some... Um, uh, it's kind of hard to see on this, but like kind of this region, Macedonia right here, right, is like this section and Achaia right down here. And so like this section is their part. I don't have a zoomed out map. Um, talking about, but they're like, no, but everywhere we go where there's believers, you're being known, right? I talked about uh, which one we're on. So. Um, Believers everyone knew about their conversion story. So they lived in a culture that was anti-God, the Thessalonian, Thessalonica culture. Um, they worshipped idols, and they worshipped themselves through that as well. Right? Then they, they did something that was counter to the culture, and they worshipped the one true God instead. So Paul and Silas um, go to a new ca- new town, get to this new town, and they're like, hey, let's share the gospel. And we're, well, oh, I haven't seen... Bob and Joe forever from this town, like these believers, this church here. So let's talk, talk to them. And before they can say anything, people start telling them about how amazing the Thessalonians are right? and how amazing that story is. So we've got to ask, what do people say about us right? as believers, about you and I? What do we give them to say about us? Do we give them things like, they're really fun and they know how to get in trouble, right? Um... Or they're really quiet. I don't know anything about them. Right? They just kind of sit there and I don't know anything. Right? Or they're obviously a Christian who worships God. Right? What are people going to know about us if someone's like, hey, have you met my buddy Joe? Right? Uh, uh, Joe is just the first name that comes to mind. Sorry. But um, a buddy Joe at wherever kind of thing. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that person is what? What are those things going to come to mind there? So with Thessalonica, everyone knows about their conversion story, right? They did something that was counter the culture. They were living for the one true God. And we're going to see it not only is it known that they served God, it's also well known that they're waiting for Christ's return. Look at verse 10. So you know that they were um, report kind of reception you had with us to turn to God from idols to serve a true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Anyone here ever have like a, when you were younger, have a birthday or vacation or any big day that you were really excited for that you could not wait to tell everyone what was coming up, right? No one had a day they enjoyed in their life, right? <laughs> All right, well, um, you just can't wait. Or you may know some uh, younger siblings or other kids that like, you knew, they have a birthday and you know they have a birthday because they told you five times today they have a birthday coming up, right? Um, and stuff. I feel like that's how these Thessalonians were, right? They're just like, Christ is coming back, right? Like, this is going to be so great. I'm so excited. He's going to come back. It's going to be great. We're going to be with him forever and eternity. And it's like they were w- waiting expectantly for Christ to come, and they told people about it so that people 
everywhere knew that they were waiting for Christ's return. Um, so much so that they were coming up to Paul and telling Paul about their waiting for Christ's return. So what is this day they're waiting for, right? Uh, where, where Jesus comes from heaven and rescues us from the day to come, that it says, right? Um, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, right? In case you didn't know who that was. Um, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So what is this? Well, hopefully this marker works. It's like the only one up here. Okay. So timeline, they're waiting for it. Um, first of all, we know the Old Testament, right? That's um, the biggest part of the Bible, the last part, the first part of the Bible, I guess. Uh, Old Testament time. All this happens, and then we have Christ come, right? That's a little thing because he didn't just die and stay dead. He rose up and ascended. Um, so beginning of creation, right, whenever God created the heavens and the earth, all the Old Testament here, right? And then Christ comes. The entire Old Testament was looking forward to this Messiah, looking forward to their Messiah, the one who's going to come um, <clears throat> and deal with sin, right? We see in Isaiah, the Lamb of God takes with the sin of the world. Um, he comes, and then now we're in this section of area because the Jews were the people who had their Messiah. They were waiting for Christ to come, waiting for this Messiah to come. What happened when he came? They killed him. They killed him, right? The Jews as a whole didn't really jive with this whole Jesus guy, right? Um, it just was not the best mesh. It's like heaven met earth like a sloppy wet kiss. It was just really <laughs> bad, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm definitely a sloppy wet fan. So, um, so anyways, uh, it came. He came, and it did not go well. There were some Jews that believed, obviously, um, but like as a whole, they rejected him. And so right now we're in what's called the Church Age. The Church um, Age was a mystery in the Old Testament. You don't really see that much talked about it at all. So they had no idea what was happening. But now what happened is that. This is now Jews and Gentile believers together. Or like God's people on the world that he is um, sharing his gospel with and, and doing his ministry with right now. In the Old Testament, you have the Jews that were like his peculiar people, right? The ones who did all these laws, all these weird things, they had all these things like that. They were in captivity. He brought them out, all that stuff. And now you have the church um, where they are the ones, all the believers, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter, um, who are the church. And that's people doing his ministry on the world. On the earth. Here's what's going to happen though. Christ came, he died, he rose again, and he's like, I'm going to come back. Right? He's not just going to be gone forever, and we're like, okay, cool, we'll just be here for whatever. Um, he told us that there's going to be a time whenever he comes back. And we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians, there's going to be a time wherever this church, these people in the church, are going to be gone. That's what it's called the rapture, right? The raptured out. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, if you have your Bible's open. Go to First Thessalonians 4 real quick. Verse 14. It says this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Not just those who are taking a nap, right? This means it's euphemism for dead. Right? For dead in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We won't go before them. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So these Christians, the dead in Christ will rise first, will be raised. Then we, verse 17, who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So 
He's going to come. It says that he comes um, out of heaven and goes where? In the clouds. Right. He's in the clouds. It's not cloud. Um, it says that those who um, were dead in Christ, so these are the church believers, right, who've already died, will be caught up with him, and the we who are alive and remain, who are still alive at this point, will caught up with him in the clouds. Did he come to the earth at all in that passage? No. All right. Um, so this is what's called Christ's first coming to the earth, because he came to die and to rise again. Right? And then there's something that's in the, in the scriptures called the second coming of Christ. Right? This is when Christ comes again to the earth. Well, he didn't come to the earth here, did he? He just came to the clouds, and that was it. No earth thing there. Um, it's going to happen here. I'm not going to go into it right now. Um, you can ask questions or whatever. But there's what's called the seven years of tribulation, and it's called Jacob's trouble. Um, did anybody know what Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to? Israel, right? Um, so seven years, it's the tribulation. Um, it actually says it's the worst time the earth has ever felt in the history of the earth. And we'll never feel that bad again. Um, it's absolutely awful. And it's Jacob's trouble, which Israel, so it's for Israel, basically to basically turn their minds back to God. Um, and what's going to happen at the end of that time, there's lots of stuff that happens. There's a three and a half year mark where things like, like tribulation. Great tribulation, right? Uh, that's what it's called. But, um, and then at the very end of that, we see Christ's second coming to the earth. Right? Come to the earth. And if you're curious about this, I have um, a lot of resources on this and Bible verses you can go to. I'm going to that this morning. It's not what the passage is really about. Um, and then there's like stuff after this, right? And then eventually eternity with, with God and with Christ. There's a thousand year reign on earth with that. But either way, what they're looking forward to is this the Thessalonians. It says, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Another passage about this is 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I'm going to go there real quick if you want. You can, if not, that's fine. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 53. It says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, right? we will not all die, but will all be changed. In a moment, twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. That's twinkling of an eye, this really small amount of time, these dead, the ones who did sleep, will be changed, put on the immortal, and the ones who remain will be put on immortal. And if you notice, it's when it's at the uh, sound of the trumpet. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we saw that it was um, also at the sound of the trumpet, right? The voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God. And so let's talk about the, the, the rapture, right? It's called the rapture right here. And so they're looking forward to that. And looking for the day when their Savior will come back and take them with him before the wrath that is to come, which would be this tribulation part, right? There's also different views on um, on this stuff, um, and even within like, when does the rapture happen? There's a ton of different views and such. But um, we at Stillwater Bible we take the Bible as literally as we can, basically, right? Um, as in, in its gram grammar and its historical context, all those kind of things. Take it literally, and if you get that literally, then you're going to get this outcome um, in that way, and so. They're waiting for that day. They're waiting for the day whenever Christ will come, take them in the clouds, take them off. 
And every single chapter of First Thessalonians ends with the second coming and the, uh, the rapture, basically, of Christ, of the second coming. Second coming, rapture. Um, but it ends with looking forward to that. Right? Every single chapter. And so, in some way, like, it's kind of a theme of First Thessalonians. I mean, if every single chapter ends with it, and that's, that's a major theme of First Thessalonians. Um, one commentator, Ironside, says this. He says, in the last two verses, we have two words which cover the whole Christian life. Serve and wait. Last two verses. What kind of report you had, reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Serve God and we wait. One of the issues in Thessalonica that he's addressing, I think, is the issue that some people are like, Christ's coming back, so I'm not going to do anything, right? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to go to that mountaintop and be like, all right, Christ, come, kind of thing. Um, and he's like, no, 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 keep on serving, right? Keep on working. Keep on having a good um, relationship with people you work with and that kind of stuff. And so the two words, serve and wait. Like I said, every chapter ends with a look at Christ's coming. In many ways, it's the theme of the book. But another overall theme can be stated with one word. Sanctification. I think this is the biggest theme of the book. Um, each time Paul brings up a new subject in this letter, he, in many, uh, he keeps saying, like, y'all doing great, but excel still more. Right? You're doing great. No one has to even teach you about how to love each other, but excel still more. Right? Keep on pushing forward. Keep on trying to be made more and more like Christ. Uh, that's what sanctification is. It's, it's our process as believers of being made more and more like Christ by abiding in Him, by walking in the Spirit. Continue to strive for growth and always look ahead for our future hope in Christ. Hope of the Bible is different than what we think of as hope, right? Um, some of you might have hoped it would snow more, right? But it's not like, it's different than the Bible. It's not like, oh, I hope Christ comes, right? It's like, no, we have a hope that Christ will come. It's a current expectation or a current enjoyment of a future reality. I have a hope that I'm set on. I know that Christ will return. I'll be with him for eternity. And that's the hope that Thessalonians have, that everyone knew about all throughout the, uh, the region and other areas. So questions about this passage we have to ask ourselves are, do our lives match the gospel message? Right? Paul, Silas, all they did. They were preaching this message out, and they were living it out as well. Um. And then secondly, what do people say about us, right? If they, they're like, oh, yeah, my, my Blake from this place, right? What do you know about him? And then someone says something, what are they going to say? What is our reputation? Application for moving groups. Um, make sure our lives match our message. We need to live graciously and love others. That's what our message is. We need to be living that as well. <coughs> secondly, Let's imitate God and the apostles. And that comes by studying their lives, right? The more and more you know about God is through studying his word and what is revealed to you and praying to him. One word about the apostles is mainly from the word, right? Um, from what they uh, did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as in Acts a lot. And then throughout the rest when they wrote all these letters and such. Um, but you see their lives. You see what they did and how they acted, how they loved others and what they, what they acted like. Let's do that. And third... Look to our future hope, Jesus Christ himself. Our hope is not just like this great thing is going to happen, but like 
Christ is coming back to get us, and we'll be with him for eternity, our Savior. Okay. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that we're able to study this um, letter that was written to Thessalonians. Thank you.